Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Welcome to Morning Shot. Amar Akhtar with you here on Money FM 89.3's Breakfast Show. Tensions between the two careers are inching up, with some analysts saying that the risk of an armed clash erupting on the Korean peninsula in the coming months has reached a critical level. In recent days, a commentary carried by North Korea's state news agency, KCNA, said that the North is determined to launch more spy satellites in the near future to collect information on the military activities of its enemies. That comes after North Korea's claims of the successful launch of spy satellite by the name of Malagyong-1. Meanwhile, South Korea has also launched its first military spy satellite into orbit and confirmed its communications with the ground command. The Republic has also expressed intentions to launch four additional spy satellites by the end of 2025 to bolster its reconnaissance capacity over the north. Now, for more insights, we're joined by Professor Daniel Pinkston, lecturer of international relations at Troy University. He is also an expert in Northeast Asia politics and weapons of mass destruction proliferation. Professor, thank you so much for your time. How are you? Great to be with you. Great to have you on. First off, Professor, what are the possible technical capabilities of the Malagyong-1 that North Korea claims to have launched into orbit? Well, they're probably rudimentary. Uh, North Korea has made claims that it's been uh, collecting imagery of different military bases and sites, but right. they have not uh, released any of that. So I don't know if any intelligence agencies have been able to intercept the telemetry, intercept that data and make any analysis of it. We don't know anything about that, but it's probably um, modest in its um, value. So for North Korea to really have a useful you know, space-based capability, it would require a constellation of satellites. They would have to put up more satellites and with better technology. And it's questionable whether their space launchers, the space launchers that they have can uh, do that, have the ability to place the larger platforms in orbit. But they could cooperate with Russia. That's an unknown. That's an uncertainty. Maybe Russia will launch some satellites for them or provide mm. technology. So there's still a lot of uncertainty and a lot of questions going forward. Just on that Russia point you made, what's your take on that? Uh, you know, could you delve into further detail? What kind of material support should we be concerned about? Well, many people were skeptical when Putin and Kim met in September in the Russian Far East, and North Korea has been providing small arms, conventional arms, mm -hmm. artillery shells, and of course asking for nuclear technology, space technology, submarine technology. North Korea has a long list of high tech that they would like to receive. And of course, there's an asymmetry when we look at that balance sheet, right? And many people thought, well, this is not going to happen. North Korea can't pay for this. Russia's not going to give it to them for free. What's in it for Russia? But there's a number of possible um, contributions or things of value Russia could provide to North Korea. They could provide them data. They could provide them plans, components. They could provide them access to Russian ground stations. So if you have space-based platforms, you have to have the ground control capabilities, right? Mm -hmm. You have to control and operate the satellites. You have to receive the data, provide the uh, commands, the uplinks to the satellites. So, you know, providing those capabilities maybe at sea, uh, maybe in Russian territory, um, having those ground stations around the world would uh, help operate that system. But of course, it's a great expense to, to North Korea. So there are a number of different uh, things that Russia could provide. Russia's provided uh, launch services for Iranian satellites recently, for mm. example. 
So these are, you know, how to operate a system, how you um, operate it and uh, provide the, the early warning data to your ground services and how they provide that analysis and so forth. So there's a long, long ways to go for North Korea to have this uh, capability being useful, and Russia can help them on that process. Yeah, a long ways to go indeed. What can actually be done to determine if the satellite is functioning as claimed by the North? Well, I think if, if it uh, was functioning uh, well and had uh, high-resolution imagery, they would probably release it, right, because it would be a propaganda coup. It's something they could be very proud of. They could show their domestic audience and, of course, adversaries as well. So if they've been receiving the data and the imagery from the satellite, maybe it's uh, modest in its quality and they're embarrassed to, to show it. So, of course, they would they would provide it if it was of exceptional value. But we don't know if others, you know, intelligence agencies have been able to intercept any of that data link. They are susceptible to countermeasures as well. So that's another thing um, people haven't spoken about much. In a conflict or a lead up to a conflict, if North Korea were operating satellites and trying to uh, collect information that would be helpful in that scenario, in that crisis or war, you know, they would be vulnerable to uh, jamming, for example, um, cyber countermeasures to break up their operations and everything else. So we already see the South Koreans moving, uh, launching uh, their own satellites, and I'm sure they're working on their counter space uh, measures and working with allies. The U.S. and Japan have been moving much closer in their uh, cyber and their counter space uh, cooperation. Yeah, you just touched on Seoul's reconnaissance satellite that's now officially an eye in the sky, if you will, after a successful SpaceX <laughs> rocket launch. Could you give us a sense of what kind of information it can capture? Um, of course, uh, photos. I don't know what it's configured um, to collect other uh, data information, um, you know, signals intelligence, that type of thing. I'm confident it's mostly configured, if not completely disconfigured, for imagery. Um, as they get more satellites in uh, the sky um, and operate in constel- constellation, they could have, you know, real-time coverage and not have the gaps that you would have with just one satellite. It would pass over every you know hour and a half, every couple of hours. And also in terms of the uh, microelectronics, the technology, uh, South Korea has a number of advances. So the type of cameras that can see through cloud cover, mm. you know, higher resolution, those types of things. I think uh, South Korea has a much greater advantage. And of course they have the uh, close relationship, alliance relationship with the U.S. So as the world is moving toward this kind of Cold War II, we see um, allies uh, interested in countering this uh, North Korean capability. You know, Australia, U.S., Canada, Japan, Singapore, countries like this that are concerned about uh, North Korea's belligerent or disruptive behavior, you know, they can cooperate in um, countering these uh, North Korean capabilities if it is part of uh, action or movement towards belligerent or armed conflict. All right. Now, we know that South Korea has also expressed its intentions to launch four additional satellites by the end of 2025. What kind of signal does this send in terms of the South's reconnaissance capacity of the North? Well, like I said, I think in, in, uh, they have a, a robust commercial uh, sector. Right. So the, the two space programs, they began in very different pathways. So South Korea started around 1980, focused, or excuse me, 1990, on um, uh, satellite capabilities. So mm. they were uh, building satellites 
and uh, having them launched by other space services. And so they developed this. There are a number of uh, firms in uh, South Korea that are working on satellites. So they have this commercial sector. And then only later did they develop the space launch vehicle. So they're developing that capability, but they also use uh, space launch services from other providers, other international uh, partners. North Korea took a very different um, uh, process or pathway. They started with the the missiles and the space launchers. And only later, decades later, just now they're starting to work on the satellites. So what you actually have in orbit and what the capabilities are, the experience operating them and so forth, I think that's what really matters. Once you have the capability in uh, space, it doesn't matter if it was launched with your launcher. It's nice to have your own launcher because you're not dependent on anyone else. But there are a number of you know commercial space launchers now, SpaceX and others, just sort of on the earlier story talking about SpaceX, and um, other allies, Europeans and so forth, that can launch uh, these satellites. And then if there's any um, dysfunction or countermeasures or a satellite uh, is lost, having these partners, having your own capabilities, you can uh, have the resilience to uh, reconstitute your constellations. And this is the kind of strength that um, North Korea doesn't uh, have. It's more independent and relying upon their own launch capabilities, at least up until now. And that comes at a great cost to to North Korea. They don't have the financial resources that the South does, the human resource, the technology, the robust commercial sector that's um, driving the technological innovation, et cetera. Mm. As you rightly pointed out a short while ago, these latest developments are obviously adding on to already simmering tensions between the two Koreas. Many countries, many stakeholders uh, are interested in this tension as well. In your opinion, where are tensions headed on the Korean peninsula in the coming days and weeks? What are the potential scenarios that we can look out for here? I tend to differ with those assessments. I think it's pretty stable. There's always this um, small error term. We're always living in this uh, shadow of 5% uh, error or some accident, something like that, that would trigger some kind of armed exchange or something. But if we look over the last 12 years of Kim Jong-un's rule, it's been pretty stable. You know, there was some, uh, a lot of rhetoric and uh, weapons tests, developing weapons, but as far as any kind of clashes, there was uh, something on the DMZ in 2015, but you compare to a uh, historical period, I mean, I encourage people to go back and look at the, the trend line back in the 1960s, 70s, mm-hmm. 80s, that period. I mean, there were shootouts on the DMZ like every other day. Um, my house here in Seoul, I look um, across the ridge line here, there was a raid on the, the Blue House, the presidential residence back in 1968. Yep. You know, back in those days, shooting down aircraft, uh, capturing fishing boats armed insurgents coming across the DMZ trying wow. to start insurgencies and things like that. So um, it's pretty stable. I think the, the mutual deterrence is robust, but both countries are you know armed to the teeth, and North Korea has WMD, nuclear weapons, chemical weapons, and so forth. So if there were some kind of error or accident that could uh, potentially escalate, then it could be very uh, dangerous. But I think North Korea realizes that the fact they have nuclear weapons, that puts them in the gun sights of uh, nuclear retaliation from the U.S. The U.S. has a mutual defense treaty with South Korea. Um, They provide uh, extended deterrence, um, including uh, nuclear capabilities. So the use of any of these uh, WMD capabilities by North Korea, uh, I think they're quite clear and they understand that this would trigger an overwhelming response and that they would not gain anything from using these capabilities. So I think it's pretty stable. But of course, um, it's not impossible. There could be an accident or some kind of uh, miscalculation. All right. Stable for now, but accidents always possible. Professor Daniel Pinkston, thank you so much for your time this morning. My pleasure.
We've been in conversation with Professor Daniel Pinkston, a lecturer of international relations at Troy University, about tensions building up on the Korean Peninsula. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.